When witches go riding and black cats are seen, the moon laughs and whispers, "'Tis near Halloween." If you like to learn, but lack enough time, to locate the reason or translate the rhyme, with magical knowledge from ancient tomes on the shelf, I bring Halloween topics to geek thyself. Hello everyone, I'm Heather and I'll be your host for this podcast. Halloween is my favorite holiday and my favorite spooky time of the year. So park your broom at the door and listen for a spell as I brew up some Halloween topics for this week and the rest of October. Hi everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. So, in Geek Thyself tradition, we're going to be doing a reading for this week's episode, since it's the Halloween episode. Now, last year, Russ and I both uh, read some Edgar Allan Poe poems, and this year, I decided to read at least one of his short stories. I haven't timed it yet, so I don't know how long it's going to take me. But the plan is to read at least one of them. I'm going to start with one of his most famous stories, The Telltale Heart. And if there's time, if it's not going to run too long, I will also be reading The Cask of Amontillado. Now, for anyone who hasn't read either of these short stories from Edgar Allan Poe, they are both very dark. They do both deal with death not always in pleasant manner. And so if you are listening with children, I would recommend some caution and or listening to the story first, maybe reading it first, before you let them listen. And with that, I am going to go ahead and get started. So, The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. It's true. Yes, I have been ill, very ill. But why do you say that I have lost control of my mind? Why do you say that I am mad? Can you not see that I have full control of my mind? Is it not clear that I am not mad? Indeed, the illness only made my mind, my feelings, my senses stronger, more powerful. My sense of hearing especially became more powerful. I could hear sounds I had never heard before. I heard sounds from heaven, and I heard sounds from hell. Listen! Listen, and I will tell you how it happened. You will see, you will hear how healthily my mind is. It is impossible to say how the idea first entered my head. There was no reason for what I did. I did not hate the old man. I even loved him. He had never hurt me. I did not want his money. I think it was his eye. His eye was like the eye of a vulture, the eye of one of those terrible birds that watch and wait while an animal dies and then fall up on the dead body and pull it to pieces to eat it. When the old man looked at me with his vulture eye, a cold feeling went up and down my back. Even my blood became cold. And so I finally decided I had to kill the old man and close that eye forever. So you think that I am mad? A madman cannot plan, but you should have seen me During all of that week, I was as friendly to the old man as I could be, and warm and loving. Every night, about twelve o'clock, I slowly opened his door. 
and when the door was opened wide enough, I put my hand in and then my head. In my hand, I held a light covered over with a cloth so that no light showed, and I stood there quietly. Then, carefully, I lifted the cloth just a little so that a single thin small light fell across that eye. For seven nights I did this, seven long nights, every night at midnight. Always the eye was closed, so it was impossible for me to do the work. For it was not the old man I felt I had to kill, it was the eye, his evil eye. And every morning I went to his room, and with a warm, friendly voice I asked him how he had slept. He could not guess that every night, just at twelve, I looked in at him as he slept. The eighth night, I was more than usually careful as I opened the door. The hands of a clock move more quickly than did my hand. Never before had I felt so strongly my own power. I was now sure of success. The old man was lame, lying there, not dreaming that I was at his door. Suddenly, he moved in his bed. You may think I became afraid, but no. The darkness in his room was thick and black. I knew he could not see the opening of the door. I continued to push the door slowly, softly. I put in my head. I put in my hand with the covered light. Suddenly, the old man sat straight up in bed and cried, Who's there? I stood quite still. For a whole hour, I did not move. Nor did I hear him again lie down in his bed. He just sat there, listening. Then I heard a sound. A low cry of fear which escaped from the old man. Now I knew that he was sitting up in his bed filled with fear. I knew that he knew that I was there. He did not see me there. He could not hear me there. He felt me there. Now he knew that death was standing there. Slowly, little by little, I lifted the cloth until a small, small light escaped from under it to fall upon to fall upon the vulture eye. It was open, wide, wide open, and my anger increased as it looked straight at me. I could not see the old man's face, only that eye, that hard blue eye, and blood in my body became like ice. Have I not told you that my hearing had become unusually strong? Now I could hear a quick, low, soft sound, like the sound of a clock heard through a wall. It was the beating of the old man's heart. I tried to stand quietly, but the sound grew louder. The old man's fear must have been great indeed, and as the sound grew louder, my anger became greater and more powerful. But it was more than anger. In the quiet night, in the dark silence of the bedroom, my anger became fear, for the heart was beating so loudly that I was sure someone must hear. The time had come. I rushed into the room crying, Die! Die! The old man gave a loud cry of fear as I fell upon him and held the bed covers tightly over his head. Still his heart was beating, but I smiled as I felt that success was near. For many minutes that heart continued to beat, but at last the beating stopped. The old man was dead. I took away the bed covers and held my ear over his heart. There was no sound. Yes, he was dead, dead as a stone. His eye would trouble me no more. So I am mad, you say? You should have seen how careful I was to put the body where no one could find it. First, I cut off the head, then the arms and the legs. I was careful 
not to let a single drop of blood fall on the floor. I pulled up three of the boards that formed the floor and put the pieces of the body there. Then I put the boards down again, carefully, so carefully that no human eye could see that they had been moved. As I finished this work, I heard that someone was at the door. It was now four o'clock in the morning, but still dark. I had no fear, however, as I went down to open the door. Three men were at the door, three officers of the police. One of the neighbors had heard the old man's cry and had called the police. These three had come to ask questions and to search the house. I asked the policeman to come in. The cry, I said, was my own, in a dream. The old man, I said, was away. He had gone to visit a friend in the country. I took them through the whole house, telling them to search it all to search it well. I led them finally into the old man's bedroom. As if playing a game with them, I asked them to sit down and talk for a while. My easy, quiet manner made the policemen believe my story, so they sat talking with me in a friendly way. But although I answered them in the same way, I soon wished that they would go. My head hurt, and there was a strange sound in my ears. I talked more and faster. The sound became clearer, and still they sat and talked. Suddenly, I knew that the sound was not in my ears. It was not just inside my head. At that moment, I must have become quite white. I talked still faster and louder, and the sound, too, became louder. It was a quick, low, soft sound, like the sound of a clock heard through a wall, a sound I knew well. Louder it became, and louder. Why did the men not go? Louder, louder. I stood up and walked quickly around the room. I pushed my chair across the floor to make more noise, to cover that terrible sound. I talked even louder, and still the men sat and talked and smiled. Was it possible that they could not hear? No, they heard. I was certain of it. They knew. Now it was they who were playing a game with me. I was suffering more than I could bear from their smiles and from that sound. Louder, louder, louder. Suddenly I could bear it no longer. I pointed at the boards and cried, Yes, yes, I killed him. Pull up the boards and you shall see. I killed him. But why does his heart not stop beating? Why does it not stop? All right. Uh, <laughs> I have to be honest. This particular Edgar Allan Poe short story is one of my favorite. For anyone who hasn't heard it before or hasn't read it before, it's obviously graphic, but not graphic. Um, interesting little tidbit is that the assumption, I, I'd have to look it up. I'm not 100% sure if Edgar Allan Poe actually ever clarified this, but my understanding from this story and from different uh, analysis that's been done of it is that the beating that he hears at the end, the heartbeat, is actually his own. The killer is hearing his own heartbeat pounding in his ears because of all the adrenaline of everything that's been happening. So he thinks it's the person he's killed, but in actuality, it's his own. And that's partly why the story is called The Telltale Heart. All right, so moving into our mid-roll. And then since that did take less time than I thought it would, I am going to go ahead and read the second story. The second one's a little longer, and that, that one again is called The Cask of Amontillado. That one is similarly graphic to the one I just read, where there's definitely some descriptions that are going to be disturbing for young listeners. So if you do have any children 
around or you think they're going to hear, you may want to pause and come back to the episode. All right. And with that, let's get into the mid-roll. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to Geek Thyself. I don't have Russ again, unfortunately, so I'm going to plow through these as quickly as I can and get back to the stories. For anyone who hasn't heard, we highly recommend that you check out worldanvil.com. It is the most robust and complete campaign management and world building software that we have found anywhere. There are so many different facets of things that you can do, ways to link your characters, ways to create a timeline. They have two different settings. So if you're running it, or excuse me, if you're using it for a game that you're running and you want to flesh out the world for your players, there's one version you can use. And then if you're using it specifically as an author to kind of help outline your stories and maybe provide sort of a wiki for your readers, then there's another route that you can go And there's so many features and amazing things you can check out. It's free to sign up. And then if you like the uh, website, which I doubt you'll dislike it, and if you uh, find that you want any of those features that you do require to pay for, then you can just upgrade your membership at that point and go from there. Second uh, sponsor who's equally amazing that I want to talk about is Die Hard Dice. Now, for anyone who hasn't checked out dieharddice.com. First of all, what's wrong with you? You should go do that right now. Well, maybe after you listen to the episode. But also, they have amazing, gorgeous polymer and metal dice. They're so nice. And their metal dice, one of the things I love about a lot of their designs is that they don't have the sharp corners on most of them. So what that means is if you step on a D4, it doesn't completely impale your foot like a caltrop. It's a great thing. So you definitely should check out dieharddice.com and don't forget to use the code NERDSMITH to get 10% off your purchase. And with that, let's get back into some more spooky Edgar Allan Poe short stories for this week. All right, everyone. Welcome back from the mid-roll. So, Next story is The Cask of Amontillado. Now, there's two people going back and forth in this one, and it might be a little more confusing since I'm the only one reading it. Hopefully not, but please keep that in mind. There is drinking, there is, again, death, so any young listeners or younger ears or less mature ears that are listening, you may want to pause and come back. The Cask of Amontillado by Edgar Allan Poe. Fortunato had hurt me a thousand times, and I had suffered quietly, but then I learned that he had laughed at my proud name, Montresor, the name of an old and honored family. I promised myself that I would make him pay for this, that I would have revenge. You must not suppose, however, that I spoke of this to anyone. I would make him pay, yes, but I would act only with the greatest care. I must not suffer as a result of taking my revenge. A wrong is not made right in that manner. And also, the wrong would not be made right unless Fortunato knew that he was paying and knew who was forcing him to pay. I gave Fortunato no cause to doubt me. 
I continued to smile in his face, and did not, he did not understand that I was now smiling at the thought of what I planned for him, at the thought of my revenge. Fortunato was a strong man, a man to be feared, but he had one great weakness. He liked to drink good wine, and indeed, he drank much of it. So he knew a lot about fine wines and proudly believed that he was a trained judge of them. I, too, knew old wines well, and I bought the best I could find, and wine, I thought, wine would give me my revenge. It was almost dark one evening in the spring, when I met Fortunato in the street alone. He spoke to me more warmly than was usual, for already he had drunk more wine than what was good for him. I acted pleased to see him, and I shook his hand as if he had been my closest friend. Fortunato, how are you? Ah, Montresor, good evening, my friend. My dear Fortunato, I am glad indeed that I have met you. I was just thinking of you, for I have been tasting my new wine. I bought a full cask of a fine wine, which they tell me is Amontillado, but Amontillado, quite impossible. I know, it does not seem possible. As I could not find you, I was just going to talk to Lucrezzi. Lucrezzi. If anyone understands wine, it is Lucrezzi. He will tell me, Lucrezzi, he does not know one wine from another, but they say he knows as much about wines as you know. Oh, come, let us go. Go where? To your vaults, to taste the wine. No, my friend, no. I can see that you are not well, and the vaults are cold and wet. I do not care. Let us go. I'm well enough. The cold is nothing, Amontillado. Someone is playing games with you, and Lucrezzi, ha! Lucrezia knows nothing about wines, nothing at all. As he spoke, Fortunato took my arm, and I allowed him to hurry me to my great stone palace, where my family, the Montresors, had lived for centuries. There was no one at home. I had told the servants that they must not leave the palace, as I would not return until the following morning, and they must care for the place. This, I knew, was enough to make it certain that they would all leave as soon as my back was turned. I took down from their places on the wall two brightly burning lights. I gave one of these to Fortunato and led him to a wide doorway. There we could see the stone steps going down into the darkness. Asking him to be careful as he followed, I went down before him, down under the ground, deep under the old walls of my palace. We came finally to the bottom of the steps and stood there a moment together. The earth which formed the floor was cold and hard, we were entering the last resting place of the dead of the Montresor family. Here, too, we kept our finest wines, here in the cool, dark, still air under the ground. Fortunato's step was not sure because of the wine he had been drinking. He looked uncertainly around him, trying to see through the thick darkness which pushed, pushed in around us. Here, our brightly burning lights seemed weak indeed, but our eyes soon became used to the darkness. We could see the bones of the dead lying in large piles along the walls. The stones of the walls were wet and cold. From the long row of bottles which were lying on the floor among the bones, I chose one which contained a very good wine. Since I did not have anything to open the bottle with, I struck the stone wall with it and broke off the small end. I offered the bottle to Fortunato. Here, Fortunato, drink some of this fine medoc. It will help to keep us warm. Drink. Thank you, my friend. I drink to the dead who lie sleeping around us. 
and I, Fortunato, I drink to your long life. Ah, very fine wine indeed, but the Amontillado. It is farther on. Come. We walked on for some time. We were now under the river's bed, and water fell in drops upon us from above. Deeper into the ground we went, past still more bones. Your vaults are many and large. There seems to be no end to them. We are a great family indeed, and an old one. It is not far now, but I can see you are trembling with the cold. Come, let us go back before it is too late. It is nothing. Let us go on. But first, another drink of your medoc. I took up from among the bones another bottle. It was another wine of a fine quality, a de Grave. Again, I broke off the neck of the bottle. Fortunato took it and drank it all without stopping for a breath. He laughed and threw the empty bottle over his shoulder. We went on deeper and deeper into the earth. Finally, we arrived at a vault in which the air was so old and heavy that our lights almost died. Against three of the walls, there were piles of bones higher than our heads. From the fourth wall, someone had pulled down all the bones and they were spread all around us on the ground. In the middle of the wall was an opening into another vault, if I can call it that, a little room about three feet wide, six or seven feet high, and perhaps four feet deep. It was hardly more than a hole in the wall. Go on, I said. Go in. The Amontillado is in there. Fortunato continued to go forward uncertainly. I followed him immediately. Soon, of course, he reached the back wall. He stood there a moment, facing the wall, surprised and wondering. In that wall were two heavy iron rings. A short chain was hanging from one of these and a lock from the other. Before Fortunato could guess what was happening, I closed the lock and chained him tightly to the wall. I stepped back. Fortunato, I said, put your hand against the wall. You must feel how the water runs over it. Once more, I ask you, please, will you not go back? No? If not, then I must leave you. But first, I must do everything I can for you. But, but the Amontillado. Ah, yes, yes, indeed, the Amontillado. As I spoke these words, I began to search among the bones. Throwing them to one side, I found the stones which earlier I had taken down from the wall. And quickly, I began to build the wall again, covering the hole where Fortunato stood trembling. Montresor, what are you doing? I continued working. I could hear him pulling at the chain, shaking it wildly. Only a few stones remained to put in their place. Montresor, ha, this is a very good joke, indeed. Many times we will laugh about it, ha, ha, as we drink our wine together, ha, ha. Of course, as we drink the Amontillado. But is it not late? Should we not be going back? They will be expecting us. Let us go. Yes, let us go. And as I said this, I lifted the last stone from the ground. Montresor, for the love of God! Yes, for the love of God. I heard no answer. Fortunato! I cried. Fortunato! I heard only a soft, low sound, a half cry of fear. My heart grew sick. It must have been the cold. I hurried to force the last stone into its position, and I put the old bones again in a pile against the wall. For half a century now, no human hand has touched them. 
May he rest in peace. So, <laughs> The Cask of Amontillado is another obviously very dark Edgar Allan Poe short story. Uh, this one also happens to be one of my favorites. Not a big surprise why I chose these two to read today. Now, I will say with Casco Amontillado, it's a little harder to follow since you're dealing with two separate voices back and forth. I tried to do a little bit of a difference between the way they were saying things. So hopefully that helped. It can be tricky. Um, I will say for anyone who had any trouble following what was going on, in Casco Amontillado, essentially Montresor is mad because Fortunato has been insulting his family name. And so he leads him down into the vaults underneath his house, which is actually a palace, leads him as far down as he can into a vault, a little room that he prepared ahead of time. He tricks Fortunato into going into the room and chains him up so that he can't get out. He's chained to the wall and very, very drunk at the time. He's been given a lot of wine on the way there, so he can't really fight back very well. And then Montresor, using the stones that he had removed before, puts them back one by one by one as Fortunato is talking to him, and he seals Fortunato behind a wall very, very far under his castle, where it is unlikely that anyone is ever going to find him. And in that last paragraph we have Montresor talking about what he had done and saying that for half a century, so for 50 years, no human hand has touched the bones that he put in front of the wall where he buried his friend, well, quote-unquote friend, Fortunato. I particularly like this story because of the, I suppose, twisted irony of the last sentence which is, may he rest in peace. And not only that, but it's, may he rest in peace with an exclamation point at the end. The juxtaposition between what Edgar Allan Poe wrote and the usual sentiment behind that sentence versus what, uh, what Montresor did to this person. I just, I enjoy that sort of a twist. All right. And with that, I think we're going to call this episode good. I hope that you all have a fun and safe Halloween this year. Uh, please remember to be careful out there, you know, wear your lights if you need to for your costumes. Make sure you are checking your candy carefully before you eat everything. Uh, given what we've been dealing with recently with all of the COVID and everything, I would definitely also recommend making sure that you possibly bring some hand sanitizer or wipes and keep yourself as clean as possible while you're out. If you're going to parties, have fun, be careful. And with that, I think I'll call this episode good. And don't forget to check us out in two weeks when our new episode comes out. And in the meantime, don't forget to geek thyself.